Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello once again sports fans and welcome back to this latest edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast where we discuss the best of sports from back in the day. I'm your host Dana Augusta and I'm grateful of each and every one of you taking time out of your day to give us a listen and just a reminder not to forget to subscribe to wherever you hear the show please it really helps us out a lot. On today's show we're going to be taking a look at the two participants in this year's World Series between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies and joining me on this episode is fellow member of the Sports History Network and the host of One Man with a Mic, Mr. Chad Kane. Chad and I will discuss the interesting histories of the Astros and the Phillies, two teams that found their way through the baseball regular season and postseason and have arrived at the 2000. 22 edition of the Fall Classic. Also, Chad and I will also share our favorite memories and moments of the World of World Series past. Some exciting, some heartwarming, yet some we would like to forget. And finally, we're going to send a shout out to a stadium that was once the Jewel of the South, where it was a launching pad for some of the most dramatic and most important home runs in baseball history, and it put a major southern city on the sports landscape by luring not one but two major leagues to this peach of a city. So sit back, pump up the volume, and enjoy the show. You're strolling through the sports memory lane via the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, which is a proud member of the Sports History Network. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Hello once again, sports fans, and we're back once again with another episode of Historically Speaking Sports. And on this episode, we're going to do something that I like to do called the uh, historical tale of the tape. And right now we're talking about this edition of the world series. 
This year, we have the Philadelphia Phillies representing the National League taking on the Houston Astros of the American League. And to help us talk about these two teams and where they stack up in history, we got the host of One Guy with a Mic, a very, very good friend of mine, Chad Kane. He's joining us here on this episode. Chad, thank you for coming in, man, for coming in for at uh, Historically Speaking Sports. Hey, Dana. Thanks for having me on again, man. I appreciate it. It was really fun last time, so hope we didn't have as much fun this time. Oh, yeah. The last time you were here, we had talked about um, the Black Sox scandal, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, right, or, or something to that effect. Uh, Carl, Carl. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, the, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the yeah, meaning is in 1920. That's mm-hmm. right. You know, the, uh, yeah. that's right. I, I, that's, that's so true. You, I, I think I got, got that confused because you did a really in-depth story on the Black Sox scandal that I remember that I really listened to and I really enjoyed. And that, that would re- re- really got me into thinking, oh, this dude knows this stuff, you know. <laughs> The, you know, the, and then you came up with the Ray Chapman incident that I like to call, and you you once again knocked it out of the park on that one. So, uh, but I'm glad you came on, and you know, as we're recording, we're recording this on Friday, which is like a few hours away from Game One of the World's of this year's World Series between the Phillies and the Astros, and this is I think this is going to be a very exciting series. I think it's going to go pretty far. I don't think it's going to be a sweep in either direction. I don't think, but I think it's going to be a very entertaining series. Oh yeah, for sure. This is definitely the tale of strengths. You got uh, Philly's bats right now being so hot, and the Astros pitchers minus Verlander being super hot right now too. Right, you know. So it's it's going to be very interesting, and not to mention. This series, as far as like the crowds are concerned, is going to feel a lot like a football game because both crowds get, you know, the Houston crowd gets into it more than anybody, just as well as anybody in the Phillies. I mean, it's Philadelphia, so that goes without saying. So um, it's going to be a very interesting series, I think, that we're going to have here between these two, you know, juggernauts. And these two teams have been one of two of the most successful teams in Major League Baseball pretty much for the like, the last 20 years. Oh, yeah, they have. Um, yes, with the Phillies being in the World Series in 08, 09, uh, they made appearances in 80. Um, yeah, the Phillies have actually, you know, they've had their dips um, lately, but they've kept on, keeping on, kept on, kept on, apparently. You know, that Philadelphia sports teams where they just, grind it out all the time that yeah. mentality there and then you know then you got houston who's uh first time we've had a team in four world series in the last six years since yeah. the yankees did it in the late 90s and early 2000s that's right um you i mean let's start with, with houston okay the houston comes in you know and so far they've swept their way to the series you know um they swept the Mariners, and then they come back, and then they sweep the Yankees, which to me was a huge surprise. It was almost as if the Yankees didn't even show up for that. But I think that that it just showed you the strength of that team. You had mentioned their pitching, and you had mentioned the fact that you know this 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 Astros team, I think, really got something to prove to everybody because of what has happened the one time that they did win the World Series. You know, explain that to, to everybody. Yeah, I mean, the Astros do have something to prove. Um, most of the guys that are on, were on that 2017 team that won the World Series, 
they they're gone, but you still have Altuve, you still have Verlander there, uh, um, so you still have some a few guys there. But definitely, Houston has as an organization has had a black eye on them since that incident, um, and they have had something to prove. It's just the NLS in, they've faced two NLEs teams prior to this, and the Nationals were hot in nineteen, and the Braves were hot last year, and just were able to find a way to beat them. So with Astros chip on their shoulder. I think they're going to play with one just because of that, of that mentality the organization has. I mean, it's a typical Texas thing. I think it's a typical Texas thing too, you know, is that, I mean, Texas teams from Texas, I think just people from Texas in general, I grew up in Louisiana. So I I know this wholeheartedly that people with Texas already have a natural chip on their shoulder anyway. And the Astros is that one team in the league that, that really does have a chip on the shoulder. Now, granted, they do seem kind of smug at times, in my opinion. But this is a team that, that won the World Series, the only one that they ever won. And then next thing you know, they're being, they're being investigated and everything else about a, a sign-stealing scandal that actually transcended into regular news, which was, which was incredible to me, especially for sign-stealing, which... I mean, if you're a baseball fan, if you played baseball, that's essentially what you did. But the, the elaborate uh, lengths that they went to do this when they played the Dodgers in that World Series, you know, kind of lends, you know, kind of added to the taint of it all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and there, that sign-stealing incident actually transformed baseball because um, up to that point, well, you know, because I think it was like in 2015, Major League Baseball said, hey, you guys can start using like what football does and having electronics in the dugout to watch your previous at-bats and everything else. So a lot of the players, you know, Javi Baez in 2016 had that massive year for the Cubs. And what he was basically doing was he was going in watching his previous at-bats, then going back and then changing his uh, approach at the plate in game. Well, then in 2017, the Astros took it a bit, little bit farther, um, and they started using that technology and and put cameras in the. Basically, it was basically. Uh, I like to use the football reference. It was a uh, Spygate with the okay. with how the Patriots would set up a camera uh, in the football stadiums in the early two in the mid 2000s, and then wa- pre uh, then record the walkthroughs of the other teams. And so, basically, with the Astros, it set up a camera in the outfield that was live, and then they would have their um, technical support team behind the dugout watching live footage and would pick up on the signs of that. So that's how that whole sign ceiling situation came about is because they just took it a little bit too far. It's one wow. thing to be standing on second base and trying to still sign. It's another thing when you put a camera be- out in center field that is zoomed into the signs that the catcher is putting down. Dang. Yeah. I mean, we, we, when I heard about this, when I first heard about this and, I was I was like, are you serious? You know, at first I was like one of the people like, how are you gonna get in trouble for science dealing? That's that's something that that's done in Major League Baseball since the 1800s. That's that's part of your job if you get on second base to steal something. Right. But the like you said, the lanes from which they went and using technology to do that, and, you know, sending it down, messaging all the way down to the dugout, using a trash can to bang on it to let you let the yep. hitter know what what pitch is coming and what's not. That's a bit much. When I heard right. about that, I was like, you know, what? I take everything back from what I said. That's that's crazy, you know. But it's also very intricate 
you know, the way they did it, which I think is very ingenious, you know, on one side of it. But the other side is like, that's kind of cheesy, you know, it is, it really is. Right. But, you know, but it was very, it was impressively intricate, I think, you know, the, the what they went and how they handled all of that. Yeah, I mean, and again, they they did it and they didn't really like go outside the guidelines of what what major league baseball had put in place. They just kind of like, they basically read the wording. and was like, Oh, we can get away with this. No problem. And so then the, the tail end of that is once you have this investigation done and the Astros were shown, were known to do this. Well, now players can't watch their at bats anymore in the dugouts like that, that three years of when we had really good offensive numbers because batters were able to, adjust to the pitchers you know the motion of the pitcher and everything else to get those in-game adjustments that all went away so now you're back down to having guys hitting the hitting the upper you know you get you get the outliers that bat over 300 but anymore baseball has become more of a pitcher game and a lot more swings and misses because a we're trying to we've put so much analytics into baseball instead of right. just trying to get a base hit right <laughs> so. right and i think there's a people there's a school of thought that you know analytics has caused managers to not be like the push button managers that we've had back in the day like a Casey Stingles and even up, all the way up to like guys like Tony LaRussa guys that are just go with feeling go with gut feeling and you just go with it now is all along yep. you got to look at a book now like okay what does the analytical book says and then it goes by that and again, there's a place for that. There is. But I think that baseball is still a game where, as a manager, you still have to go with feeling. You know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the book says that this particular pitcher doesn't do well against right-handed pull hitters, so to speak. But a manager right. like, you know what? I got a feeling that he's due right now. I mean, he's rolling right mm-hmm. now. Let's just go with it and see what happens, you know? And he may be on. I mean, Classic case in point was was Don Larson of the Yankees. There was no one in their right mind in 1956 that said that Don Larson was capable of pitching a no, pitching a perfect game, you know, in in, in the World Series no less, because he was the last person on that staff that anybody would have imagined throwing a perfect game in the World Series. But it happened. Why? Right. Because Stingle had a feeling. You know, that this that this yep. guy was going to do something special and gave him the ball. I guess it was a game six in 1956. I got think yeah. it was game six that happened. Now, going away from the sign stealing aspect of the Astros, this is this as this this franchise had a very colorful history, especially with the uniforms, which I've always thought was some of the I'm, I don't know about the uniforms. I grew up watching them, of course, being from Louisiana, living just two and a half hours east of Houston. You know, we used to see those uniforms. We used to see the Astros all the time on TV. You know, I'm kind of mixed on the uniform. You know, a lot of people love it, and then a lot of people hate it. You know, I'm like, on, I'm like one of the rare people that's like on the fence. It brings back nostalgia, but as far as like its overall look, I don't know. I mean the the bright orange jerseys that the Astros used to wear are by far my favorite. Really? <laughs> um yes, the bright orange jerseys of the 
of the 80s, yes, were are my favorite Astros jersey of all time. Because then in the 90s, they kind of like went with a navy and a gold, and I'm just like, yeah, it's not really your typical thing. And then, I mean, they've kind of brought it back, but they've also embraced just Houston alone because I really like their space uniforms. The the yeah. really the navy blue with the with that orange as well. Right. And yeah, I mean, and their other you know the other uniforms are they're all right. But just look, bring back the bright orange right. for me one time. I saw what you put on Twitter of the the bright orange um, Astro uniform. I think I put it in our chat. J.R. Richard the, yeah. on the mound, you know, and yeah, and, and exactly. the Phillies with the with the blue, which <laughs> I love. Now that now the that baby uniform, blue. Oh, the, now that Phillies uniform, that's the Phillies. That's the Phillies yeah. I know. You know, when I think of the Philadelphia Phillies, I think of that uniform. I think of Tug McGraw. I think of Mike Schmidt. I think of when Pete Rose was there for a little while. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what I think of. Um, but back to the Astros. Started off, they weren't even Astros when they started. They were a team called the Colt nope. 45s. And when they came into the National League in 1962, the same year, they, the, same year the Mets joined. And I did mm-hmm. a whole show about the Astrodome and, you know, and, and all of that. One interesting note about that is that they played in a place called Colt Stadium in Houston. Tempor- it was mm-hmm. a temporary stadium that they dismantled when Houston was, when the Astrodome was being constructed and they took the ball, the actual stadium itself, deconstruct, I mean, took, you know, not tear it down, but they actually disassembled it. And then they transported it to a town in Mexico. And they rebuilt the stadium, and a and a semi-pro Mexican team plays there. Even to this day, they still play there. Dang, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> um, also, that the site of Old Colt Stadium is now the site of NRG Stadium, the home of the Houston Texans. Yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that's why the Texans are so bad because <laughs> <laughs> those are really Astro teams are horrible. <laughs> You know, I mean, the, and the, 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 first of all, I like the name, the Colt 45s. I like oh, that yeah. name, you know, and, and the hat I always wanted to have with the little, you know, 45 on it. That, yep. I thought, you know, those are some very interesting uniforms. I love the name, you know, and it kind of evokes um, what the world was like in the early 1960s because cowboy movies and cowboy television shows was like all yeah. the age in the early 60s. And with them being based in Houston, that kind of, that they really fit, you know. Then they changed the name to the Astros when they moved into the brand new Astrodome, which originally was called the Harris County Domed Stadium, which doesn't really roll off the tongue <laughs> like Astrodome, you know. And right. then in, in, in the early days of the Astrodome, it was plagued by, oh, my God, so many problems that they had to fix. It was a state-of-the-art stadium, but it had so many problems in the beginning. Yeah. You know, with the grass dying yeah, and absolutely. everything, you know. Yep. First place to have AstroTurf. Yeah. And, that's, and, and again, that's where AstroTurf started, from the Astrodome. Um, and then you yep. see a little quick rundown of what they've accomplished. They've won as a team four American League pennants, and they also have one National League pennant, which which makes them the only team in Major League Baseball to have won pennants in both leagues. Um, they've won five out of the last six division AL West division titles. 
and their only long World Series win came, of course, against the Dodgers that we've talked about, you know, in when they beat the Dodgers in seven games, which was one of the more memorable series, if you remember. It was a very high-scoring, exciting series. Yeah, it was. It did. For, you didn't really think of that series as going to have a whole lot of high-scoring offense. I mean, because I think Garrett Cole is actually a pitcher for the Astros that year as well. I think yeah. he got when he. I think he got was involved in a trade to get over there. And then on the other side, you had Kershaw and Rich Hill um, that were just pitching lights out that that postseason as well. And then it turned into a high scoring affair where the offenses just came alive was mind boggling to me. You know, you you kind of would expect that with them playing at um, Minute Maid Park, but Dodger Stadium, which is traditionally a pitcher's park gave up a lot yeah. of runs and a lot of home runs, you know, during that series. And it was it was it was amazing to me as far as like how exciting that series was because it kept going back and forth. You know, you th- you know, after game one or two, you think one team's going to have the upper end and then the next and then it would flip a couple of days later. You know, and, and that's how that series went all the way through until the the Astros won it. They had one game, if I'm not mistaken, a one game where it just had so it was long, but it was also one of these like it almost looked like a football score. Hmm. Yeah, they did. I can't. I really see. I really can't. I didn't really watch the 2017 World Series to be honest with you, because it was the Astros and Dodgers, and the Cubs had just won it the year before, and I was still hung over from that. Oh, okay. Well, that, <laughs> well, you get a pass <laughs> on that one, you know. You being a I Cubs mean, fan, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a yeah, pass. yeah. I, you know, then, I give you then, that, you know. And, and then you, the Dodgers, it, yeah. And then it's the Dodgers, so you know, <laughs> it was really. I mean, yeah. think about it, it's both I, teams for for die for Cub fans, both teams. I mean, you got. The, the yes. Dodgers, who is just everybody in the National League hates. And then you have the Astros, which used to be yeah. in the same division as you guys. So, Oh, man. I hated the Astros as a kid so much. I hated Bagwell. I hated BGL. I hated Ken Caminiti. Like, those guys, I just – Derrick Hill. Um, I, loved, I loved Hill when he was – before he became when he was with the Blue Jays and then became right. and then he became a Astro and he just went on my on my hate list like the Astros rank right up there with the Patriots for me as the most hated teams in my life. <laughs> so, so well, yeah, I mean, well, for, and, well, you know, well for <laughs> me it was it was it was it was weird because I was so at that time I was like really happy that the Astros had made it back to the World Series. Because that was the year, I think a few mm-hmm. years earlier, they had brought back the star on their head with the block H, which is to me is that's the Astros. Yep. And that's what yep. I grew up watching. And I grew up watching Nolan Ryan. I grew up watching Mike Scott. I grew up watching Kevin Bass and Jose Cruz mm-hmm. and you know, Enos Cabell and says and, 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 and J.R. Richard, you know, those guys. Um, and, and 86 crushed me. Yeah, I sat down and watched that National League Championship Series with the Mets in 86 because yeah. the Mets played like there was no tomorrow because they had to win game six because game seven they had to face Mike Scott in the Astrodome. They, wasn't gonna, they were not going to beat Mike Scott. There wasn't. There's mm-hmm. no way. Um, right. So they were playing like there was no tomorrow. And that was and, – and I grew up. You know, watching the Astros. I grew up actually watching the Astros and the Braves on TV. You know, so it was like watching both of them. You know, and that's where I mm-hmm. learned. You know, the Astros were really good, and the Braves were terrible. 
you know, and yeah. you watch the Astros see what you what you do right, and you watch the Braves on what not to do. You know, right. and that's the way it was yeah, in those, the eighties. You know, but those who don't remember, yeah, those, the Braves yeah, were Braves, awful in the eighties. <laughs> the Braves were horrendous in the eighties, and then they and then they develop pitching, and all of a sudden they have a pitching staff that gets them to like. What was that five World Series in the nineties? Yes, <laughs> you know, or, you know, and it was like, like four or five, 90, and then finally won one. You know, and yeah. then in ninety one, you know, the Braves go to the World Series, you know, for the first time, and I'm like, when did this happen? You know, because in ninety one, <laughs> I was in college, and I had never, I had really seen too much yeah. Braves games because I was getting ready for college, and I was going to college, and right. then I turn on the TV, and the Braves are in the playoffs. I'm like, when did this happen? You know, and the next thing you know, then the World Series, and I'm like, "What?" You know. <laughs> yeah, and they beat a really good Pirates team that year. Don't remind oh, me. that Pirates team was. Don't remind me. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, they were really, really good. Um, now that the- Pirates oh, team should have been in the World Series. I know, especially in '92. Especially in '92. Yeah. But it was Sid yep. Bream and Francisco Cabrera with the key hit. Sid Bream, the slowest man in baseball, beat out a throw from, from the yeah. outfield. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now, moving on to the Philadelphia yeah. Phillies. And like we said, and like I said earlier, their uniforms are – I think that they the Phillies should wear their blue road uniforms at least once in the series. Just once. That's all I ask. Just one time. In her- and Harper looks so good in it because they have busted it out before. Yeah, and Harper looks so good in that blue. <laughs> yeah, that's and like I mean, I'm not. You know, it's like I have like favorite, you know, uniforms in baseball. You know, yeah, I'm always partial to that. I'm. I also like the Oakland A's from the early '70s, the yellow and the green. You know, I like that. Yep. Um, but the the, the Phillies uniforms. From the, you know, my favorite hat is the Pittsburgh Pirates hat from the late 70s, you know, with the three stripes and the stars and everything. I, yep. I think that is so cool. They need to, they, they brought that out a couple of times over the last couple of years. But yeah, the blue and the maroon of that road uniform of the Philadelphia Phillies, just, I just think of, you know, Mike Schmidt, you know, when he beat Kansas City in 1980. Um, but. Yep. You know, but talk about the Phillies and, and, and some of the things that that they that, that historically you you come you think of whenever you think and hear the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, I mean, when you think of the Phillies, you think of first of all, as a Cubs fan, I think of nineteen eighty one, Dallas Green becoming the GM of the Chicago Cubs, and then making a trade with the Phillies because he was the GM with the Phillies, and then he became the GM of the Cubs, and he makes a trade for. Uh, Larry Boa and Ryan Sandberg and sent Ivan De Jesus over to uh, the Phillies. And then Ryan Sandberg ends up being like arguably be one of the best second basemans of all times in the Cubs uniform. So that's the first thing I think of when I think of the Phillies um, is Dallas Green making that trade. And then you think of Mike Schmidt, all right? You think of um, Harper now, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard. Like there's you just think of the the Phillies and their fans. Like they have the Philly fanatic for a reason because their fans are fanatics. I yeah, mean, they, they are. Really, you said it earlier. This is gonna be this is gonna be a football atmosphere, and that's just because the 
the Philadelphia fans live that way. Like they're they're hardcore fans, and I love Philly fans. I know a lot of people think they're an option, but like if I was gonna pick a city to move to and be a be a fandom of, it would be Philly for sure. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I, I totally had, agree with you on that. I mean, in ninety, you had them in the World Series against the Blue Jays in ninety three, um, and then. Which didn't turn out in their favor. And I was a huge Mitch Williams fan because he could, again, another Cubs Phillies reference here, you know, he pitched for the Cubs and then went over to, yeah. went over to the Phillies and, he, you know, wild thing, wild thing Williams. He hated that nickname, nickname, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and, and that's where wild thing Vaughn comes from in the, in the major, major league, league right? From wild, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, just the history of the Phillies, the Phillies, you know, being one of the, Older teams in the National League. I mean, not you know, um, just and then just progressing and just always. It seems like anytime the Phillies are in a game now, even in like the Rollins area, even in the nineties, it's always a grinded out game. Always, it's they're always they're always grinding it out, no matter what. And I think that's one of the differences that's going to be. I mean, the Astros so far in this in this play, postseason has really. You know they've had come behind, come from behind wins, and their pitching has kept it in it. So where the other pitchers make one mistake, and their bats are able to uh, top of it. All right, where Phillies, it's basically we got to get our offense rolling, and then our pitchers can just do what they need to do. And so it's the opposite. And I really think with the Phillies grinding out, you know, the wins against the Padres, especially Game Five with Bryce Harper hitting that bomb, um, right? You know, grind, grinding out that ninth inning. I tipping point to me was so the Phillies coming into the playoffs they won they had beat the Astros on Oct- October 3rd then lost two then they play against the Cardinals and they were the underdogs in that series by a long shot everybody's like oh the Cardinals are gonna win it and then to have the closer come in for the Cardinals that hasn't lost a game in the ninth in like 99 tries <laughs> you're right to just come from behind and win that game I really think that set them up to for the rest of their postseason run, because this these guys turn to each other and says, looked at each other and goes, "We got this. We can beat anybody whenever we need to, and we can do it at the re- exact right, right amount of time." Yeah, and, you and think even about, you, you know, know, even in go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, because no. even even the Dodgers, you know, he Schwarber didn't hit well against you know in the uh, against the in the ALD or in the NLDS. Schwarber didn't hit well. Hoskins didn't hit well. It was Harper that carried the team, but they pitched really well. And then against the Padres, their bats just came alive again. And now you got Schwarber being sh- hitting Schwarber bombs, and you got yeah. Hoskins. You know, between Hoskins, Harper, and uh, Schwarber, they have 13 home runs. Like of the 16 home runs that Phillies that the Phillies have hit this postseason, and they're doing it with extra base hits. So I think just overall, like the Phillies as an organization. They just grind it, and they just or just have that stick with us mentality, and we're going to get us to the promised land. It'll work out. Just you just got to stick with it. And I think Philly fans are 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 that way with all their sports teams. It's like we we're going to trust the process. We're going to trust them. We're going to boo when, when we think when we know that they're good enough. We'll boo and we'll you know we'll do all those little extra things that everybody hates us for, but we're going to celebrate the wins and remember those wins forever. You know, you, you, 
when you talk about Philadelphia fans, everybody knows the story with the how they boo Santa Claus and all of that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> um, and yeah. you said that people, oh, a lot yeah. of people think that they are the most obnoxious fans. I don't. You know, they're passionate. Dallas Cowboy fans are obnoxious. Right. Okay. Philadelphia, Philly, Philly sports fans are not. They're very passionate people who love their team to the utmost. Right. You know, and everything. Cowboy fans, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, they, they look at you like you're not a Cowboys fan. They, they look at you like you got a third eye or something, you know, like if you're not a Cowboys fan. But Philly is totally different. Yes. They, they, you know, Philly is just totally different. They're just hardcore, straight up, no holes barred. They're, in, I mean, they are who they are and no, and they make no apologies for it. That's, that's just them. Um, go ahead. It's a gritty, it's a gritty blue collar town. And right. that's how their teams are. They're gritty blue collar workers. I remember, uh, I can't remember who said it, but I, and it was one, it was somebody, I'm pretty sure it was a Philadelphia athlete that was like, every day we're bringing our lunch pail to work, just like the citizens of Philadelphia. We bring our lunch, we bring our lunch pails to work, just like them to grind out our, to grind the games out for them. You know, in, in Philly, you know, it's like, and I've heard a, an expression once talking about the city of Oakland and the Raiders. And you can say the same thing about mm-hmm. Philly. Philly. Philly sports teams, and you just pretty much nailed it on the head. When You, you know, when the, the, the saying goes like the Raiders are Oakland and Oakland are the Raiders. Well, Philly mm-hmm. sports fans are just, Philly athletes are just like the, just like the fans. And Philly fans are just like the athletes. I mean, I think they kind of they kind of intertwine yeah. between more so than any other team. Every city has some type of identity, you know. To right. them. New York has their identity of being like the top. You know, they're like the most important. They're the flagship mm-hmm. franchises of each league. Los Angeles, they're laid back. They're they're you know, kind of laissez-faire, you know, they're like one of these, they're like show up late, leave early type of, you know, you know, show up, you know, you know, like the typical stars, you know, and stuff like that. We are here and you're not yep. like smugness about them. Philly, mm-hmm. I mean, but cities like Philadelphia and Cleveland and Boston, these are fans that are just hardcore, come to work every day, blue collars, no, make no apologies. Yep. They come right at you, and that's just the way Philly fans are. You know, I think more so than any other place in the United States. Oh, for sure. I love, I love the excite. I get goosebumps watching a Phillies, uh, any Philadelphia team do good because, right. because of just how well their fans, ener- that fan, their f- energies as a fan re- goes to those pl- goes to the players, and the players, you know. That's why I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, get down on Bryce Harper, you know, he get, they get down on him and everything else. I mean, I, I'm on, you know, baseball side of Twitter at times and they're talking about, guys are going through and saying, Hey, is Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper overrated? And I'm like, Bryce Harper is Bryce Harper. He's, he's one of the best players in the game right now. Right. And he he's 30 years old and I've been a Bryce Harper fan since he was 19 like that guy because he because he he plays with a lot of passion he plays with a lot of heart and and he tries to boost up his teammates and everything else i was watching a tiktok 
and they were, um, and I can't remember which player it was, but they were in the Arizona Fall League, and Harper had was like over twenty, something like that, and they were down. It was the bottom of the ninth, and Harper is in the is on in the hole, and he turns to the he turns to the guy in front of him, the guy that's gonna head up to that bat, and says, "If either one of you guys get on, I'm hitting a home run dead center to end this." And and everybody's like, okay, Harp, like you've been over twenty all all year long. And then next thing you know, he they Dan, uh, one of the guys walks, he comes up, hits a bomb to dead center, and yeah. ends the game. Like yeah. <laughs> like you know, that's just the, that, that the, confidence that he has. Exactly, exactly. That's the confidence that he carries, and I think that Bryce Harper's confidence and the Philadelphia grittiness is basically that yeah. Philly's team's identity. You know, you hit mm-hmm. on it when they played Saint when they were when he was playing St. Louis in that one game uh playoff. Um they you know when when the closer for Saint for for the Cardinals came in, I was like, oh yeah, this is over. You know? But oh, a run gets on, then another run gets on, I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. Know? And then I'm like that, that that reliever looking a little shaky right now, and then next thing you know, they score a whole bunch of runs and then take the lead and end up winning the game. And when they beat when they beat the Cardinals, they faced Atlanta next. I oh said, yeah, Atlanta. Beat. Yep. I was like, they're gonna yeah. beat Atlanta. They're gonna beat them because I think Atlanta came into that series, you know, came into the playoffs. I think they were kind of gassed because they were fighting off the Mets all season. You know, oh. and and then they then they yeah. played the Phillies. And I'm like, well, and I think the attitude was, well, we beat the Phillies all in, earlier in the year. They're no big deal, you know. And I think they were looking past them with the potential meet, you know, with the potential meeting with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. Yeah. But Philly came in with a lot of confidence, and plus Atlanta's traditional overconfidence, you know. Yeah. You know, and I, I know I'm probably going to tick off a lot of some of my Atlanta friends when I say this. You know, I've always, I've always made you every time Atlanta, a team from Atlanta loses, especially like when they lost the Super Bowl. It seems like they always lose when they got they have this unique ability to snatch victory, snatch defeat out of the hands of victory. And right. And they blow leads so often and everything else. I say I think Atlanta is an old Cherokee Indian word that means blown lead you know i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know but I, you know but I, I say that jokingly i know i live here in atlanta i, I get it okay but it is what it is dude oh, come man. on <laughs> right it is very much so <laughs> yeah. oh i love that analogy <laughs> yeah and you're you know what and you're right it was atlanta that was my mistake i and then you know what? i knew it was atlanta because i've been looking up on this review in this world series for this and i know and i knew it was atlanta i still said la i think yeah. just because you know i have nightmares of la yeah yeah it, it you're a coach man i get it you're a coach man I, I totally get yeah. it now to shift gears a little bit we're gonna talk about your five favorite World Series moments. This is the World Series. The World Series begins pretty soon. You know, what is – give me a list of your five favorite World Series moments. My top five favorite World Series moments has to be Kirby Puckett's home run against Atlanta. 
And Midwestern then, kid got to. I know you're a Cubs fan, but yep. Midwestern kid, you gotta have that up there somewhere. I saw I saw plenty of games in the triple in the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome as a kid, because I had family members that live in Minneapolis. So okay. they were twins fans. So we would and we only live five and a half hours away from the cities. And we would go up my grandpa during the summers would take me and my cousin to twins games almost every weekend. And we lived in that dome. And I mean, I mean, that dome was probably one of my favorite stadiums of all time. A lot of people really? hated it, but I loved it. Um, yeah, I loved it. I, you can, And the thing is, is like in the 90s, first of all, there wasn't a whole lot of people that went to twins games in the 90s because they weren't that good. Right. <laughs> Even though they had Puckett and Herbeck, the games weren't the game. If it wasn't a premier game, they weren't they weren't going to sell it out. Right. So my cousin and I would basically walk around the Metrodome, watch the game from all angles. And at one point, this is how dead the, do- the dome was. We're over above the hefty bag in right field. My grandpa is sitting on the third base line halfway up. And we yell, hey, grandpa, across the stadium. And he heard you. And it echo- he heard us and echoed all the way across the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> that's how empty it was wow oh <laughs> uh, yeah and so that um so pockets home run okay carter's home run against off mitch williams obviously yes. um one of the bigger things that it's not really like uh a player's moments but the san francisco giants and the oakland a's world series just getting interrupted by that earthquake because right. that came out of that was that like you know devastated that both cities you know, and then they still had to go on with the game. What was funny um, is that, Luis, you know, to, to speak on that real quick, I remember mm-hmm. when that happened. I was coming, I was in high school, and that was 89, right? So yep. I was in yeah. high school, and I was coming back from somewhere. I might have been like practice or something, I might have been like football practice or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing it on the radio. Like they broke in. You know, my grandpa came to yeah. me up from the from from practice, and he listened to the news radio, and it's like breaking news into like the the you know the World Series. I think it was Game Two. I think it was. Yeah, yep, it was Game Two. The Game Two of the World Series was, is going to be postponed because San Francisco has suffered yeah. a major earthquake, like in the yeah. moments before the game and stuff. And I was like, Grandpa, you got to get us home. Mm-hmm. Quick. I, I want to see this on TV. They say while they were introducing the game and then you see yeah. Al Michaels hearing them in the background. I think we're having an earthquake and that sort of thing. That was like the craziest yeah. thing I had ever seen. Yeah. I was seven at the time. And that's, that's, and like, I didn't really start understanding sports until I was at least, you know, 91. I was like nine or 10. But that's that, that m- image sticks with me the most as, you know, being a seven-year-old at that time. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that, you know, like I said, that's not like, uh, it's not a happy moment, but it's, right. you know, but it's one of those moments that you never, you always forget. You, it's one of those moments where you never forget where you were at. Right. Exact same year. Because um, I remember when I first heard about it, I was in, the, in my grand, yeah. I was in my grandpa's truck, you know, mm-hmm. listening to it on the radio and, you know, saying yep. that, you know, there was an earthquake and we got home and, I saw it on TV and I was like, wow, that is unbelievable. You know, and, and the, yeah. the, the amount of damage that earthquake caused yep. was tremendous. Yeah, it was because that, because the, the Golden Gate Bridge has two levels and that level, that one level had fell down right onto the other. Like that's the picture that sticks in my mind. 
And right. I was just like, wow. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, like I said, that's not like a happy moment, but it's a moment right. that I'll never forget. Right. Um, I got Luis Gonzalez's hit off Mariano Rivera in 01 as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember <laughs> that, that was, too. you know, that was, and, and Craig Council coming across to score the winning, the winning run because Craig Council five years earlier, Came across and scored the winning run against the Indians. That's right. That was the same Cleveland. guy, right? That, I forgot about that. That's exactly right. <laughs> For the Marlins. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Craig Council scored both runs in, in, yeah. in those game sevens. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So that, and then that 01 team, that 01 Diamondbacks team, I, you know, had Mark Grace and being a Cubs fan, obviously, I was rooting for Grace. Yeah. And Luis Gonzalez obviously came to play with the Cubs at a moment for a moment there too. But right. yeah. Um so so there's that and then obviously twenty sixteen, the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. I knew that was um, number one. The for game you. seven. That that is by far number one for me. Um it, it's number one for a lot I, of people. You know. It, that, that that's actually on my list, but yeah, that, but that is on my list for another for a different reason. <laughs> for different, for different yeah, reasons. Like it you just, know, I was um, so happy that the Cubs yeah. had finally won the World Series. But the one thing that I remember about it was, and this is on my this is on my list, was Rajay Davis's home run at the bottom of the ninth. Yep. Because I was like, yeah. they're dead in the water. There's no way the Cubs are going to win the World right. Series and everything. And then, yeah, when it gets on. And then Rajay Davis, who only hit like what eleven home runs all year, you know, mm-hmm. sure he barely. I mean, hits it. It's the a, deep left field barely goes over the fence, barely curves around the foul yeah. hole for a home run. The one thing I remember about that is that they panned to one of the luxury boxes and they showed LeBron James celebrating. I'm like, yeah, oh my god, I was in shock. You know, like of all right. people to hit a home run is Rajay Davis, and at, at that moment, I'm like. Don't tell me the Cubs are going to lose. Then they had the rain delay. Remember? It was <laughs> right? a rain delay right after yeah, that. Seven, 17, 17 minute rain delay I'm that like, oh, Jason Hayward me? had done. <laughs> Jason, Jason Hayward hadn't done anything pretty much all year. But to me, that signing wasn't because of his offense, it was definitely because of his defense. Right. I would have paid $180 million all over again for his defense because. Jason Hayward is just one of those guys. He doesn't provide a lot of power, but he has speed and he has great defense. And I'd pay $186 million all over again just for that. Wow. It gives a speech, pumps the team up, and the Cubs come out and just do what Cubs did that year and come back and make victories. My grandpa passed away that year, so he didn't get to see the Cubs win the World Series. He passed away that in July. Oh, and wow. we had at his – so – his we had his memorial service on July 31st, and it was the right after the Cubs had came back and won one nothing against the Mariners, uh-huh. and the pastor was like, was like, you know, uh, Ray for one thing would would really be loving this Cubs team right now, especially at the after the gritty win yesterday right. when they won one nothing. Yeah. So um, so it was one of those deals where. With with my grandpa not able to see it, and he'd been a Cubs fan for, you know, 30-some years, and watching him on WGN and stuff, and then him not, you know, and then that team just doing what they did, 
I so I remember that season for two reasons for that for the Cubs winning it, but then also in 2014 after the Cubs had like one of the worst years that they had. We were my grandpa and my uncle and I were talking in the living room at my grandparents' house, and I had ran the numbers because I'm a huge stats guy. I ran right. the numbers and I go, you know, the Cubs were only that year they were only like I don't know eight games from making the playoffs as a wild card team. I mean something like that. It was it was something ridiculous. I was like, if they would just because Carl because Carl or not Carl Edwards, but um, Pedro, the closer from the year before, uh-huh. blew like his first nine saves, and then they had Edwin Jackson who didn't win a game at right. all in his first I don't know like thirteen games, as well. And I'm like, if they just had a fifth starter and a closer, they would actually make the playoffs this year. And I'm like, so then <laughs> I'm sitting there and I go, listen to me out, guys. In 2015, the Cubs are going to be uh, will probably make the playoffs as a wild card team. Okay. And they're like, yeah, right. I'm like, no, they're they're on the cuff. I said in 2016, they're winning the World Series. And they're like, yeah, okay, how do you figure? And I said, this is how they're going to do it. And right. for the Cubs to actually didn't win the World in 2016, <laughs> and I had predicted it two years before, <laughs> like, was even more amazing. And I should have, like, bet on it in 2014. But as a fan, like, so, and just that relief, from that winning that team of being on as the lovable losers the entire time and having those kids, Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Schwarber being such an integral part of that team. Like Schwarber having an ACL injury in, in April. Like I, I, I remember that injury. I remember where I was at, I was walking at the park and listening to the game and Dexter Fowler and Schwarber come crash in in the left center field at Arizona in Arizona and he tears his ACL and I'm like there goes our season and then the, for the team to gritty it out the way they did exactly. and then Schwarber to come back and have that world series that Babe Ruth world series that he did right and that was even more amazing so <laughs> I mean that that 2016 is just special to me overall but yeah. that 2016 world series is even more special and just Chris Bryant throwing the ball to Anthony Rizzo was even more perfect because then 13 days later I got a dog and named him Brizzo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, so, yeah. my so list is a little bit more. My top five should have been, but. Yeah. My list is actually a little bit very similar to yours. Um, and I don't have them like in like rank as far like most favorite to least favorite. I just have them in chronological order. And I'm going to go through them real right. quick. Little background on me. The first World Series I actually remember watching was in 84. I was 11 between the Tigers and the Padres. And that was like my Mm -hmm. friend. The reason why that was was because my best friend's uh, brother lived in San Diego. And being the best friend that I am, I wanted to go against the team that he was rooting for because he had a whole lot of San Diego Padres stuff and everything. So I'm like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to go with the Tigers. And Tigers ended up winning that series in five. But mm-hmm. my favorite moments, number one, 1986, Bill Buckner's era in game six. <laughs> that right there is is because is, I was rooting for the Red Sox. I really was. My cousin was spending the night at our house, and he didn't really care for baseball, and we were sitting there watching it. And then the, the Mets started coming back hit after hit after hit. And then the Bill Buckner era, he's like yelling and screaming like he's a Mets fan. And actually, to this day, he is a Mets fan. 
to this day, he became a Mets fan at that moment. So that's was memorable for me in that, that way. 1988, Kirk Gibson's home run in game one. My grandfather was a diehard Dodger fan going all the way back to when they were in Brooklyn. My grandfather was a Dodger yeah. fan to no end. And that was the happiest I had ever seen him when Kirk Gibson hits the home run. You know, the game was on the West Coast, so we watching it in Louisiana, and it must have been like 11 mm-hmm. o'clock at night. And he hits the home run. He starts yelling and celebrating. My mom comes running out of the out of her bedroom, like, "What's wrong? What's going on?" And then my grandfather looking at her sheepishly, like, "Oh, I am so sorry. The Dodgers just won the game. I'm sorry." <laughs> okay. Um, the next one, Game Seven, 1991 World Series, Twins and Braves. I was a college student at the time. That was my freshman year in college. And I wanted to go watch the game in my room, but my roommate had company, quote unquote. So I couldn't go. I had to watch the game in the lobby. What I remember most about the game, of course, it was a one nothing pitchers duel between John Smoltz and Jack Morris. Mm -hmm. Um, What I remember most was when the game started, Okay, I put the game on, watching the game in the lobby. They're like me and maybe two other people. Both of them were natives of Atlanta watching the game. And we're sitting there. I had no dog in a fight, really, because I like the Twins. I like the Braves, too. And I thought they had two great stories, both teams coming from worst to first. So we're watching the game, watching the game, watching the game. About the eighth inning, I look up and look around. They must have had about 20 to 25 people in the lobby watching the game. And I was like, where did all these people come from? And they were all like, and it was like the greatest one nothing game I had ever seen in my life. Yeah. And you think one nothing is like, oh, it was boring. No, this was the most exciting one to nothing game I had ever seen, mostly because of all of the strategy that right. Bobby Cox and, uh, Tom and, Kelly. And, and the manager for the, for the twins, whose name is Tom Kelly, who yep. all of the, all of the, strategy that they were putting down and the way that Tim McCarver on television was explaining it. And, the, and who could forget game six with Kirby Puckett's home run and Jack Buck saying, hey, we'll see you tomorrow night. And that, that's like the greatest call ever mm-hmm. in sports, in my opinion. And finally, the one I talked about was Rajay Davis's home run in 2016. I, that, was, that was basically quintessential baseball where you'd never know what's going to happen where the least likeliest person could come to the plate and deliver on deliver a play that could just change everything at one instant, which I think is the beauty of baseball. You know, they have a couple of honorable mentions, you know, the Marlins beating the, the Indians in game seven, you know, with that, with, you know, the, the, the Tony Fernandez era that led up to the hit mm-hmm. that scored great council. That one, yep. uh, you mentioned the 2001 series with Luis Gonzalez's hit, you know. So I have so those, so that's my top five. And it's like most memorable moments of, in my opinion, my lifetime that I remember with these two eyes. You know, um, favorite World Series memories. Yeah, those are those are great great memories. And yeah, I and I to to talk about that. Morris Smoltz pitching duel, yeah, is 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 phenomenal because like that would be an honorable mention for mine 
for me as well because Morris, you know, only Morris got Morris was a mad dog. Smoltz was a mad dog. You know, they're both dogs on the mound, and they both could pitch so consistently. Yeah. So that that game definitely, yeah. And and it was yeah, like yes. and a lot of people consider that series like one of the top five greatest series of all time. You know, all one game one be. through seven. You know, because every game was close. I don't think there was really a mm. I think the biggest margin of victory was like maybe three runs or five runs, maybe, and that was it. Yeah. You know, every game I think two of them went to two or three of them went to extra innings. This one game seven yes. went ten, you know. Yep. So it was like one of the great series within the last forty years in baseball. In, in the yes, world it series. was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and they just had good. I mean, you just it just had good stories on both sides, but you know, because like you said, they were the worst teams. You know, a couple of the worst teams, and they were both in the World Series the the next year. So the just the and just that. Just that that right there built the Braves dynasty for the nineties to, to set it up for what it was gonna be. Uh, the twins obviously, you know, turned in, into the twins, but then they reloaded and were the twins of the early two thousands and haven't really been back since. But right. you know, it, but that that series though, I, I won't forget it. All the all the white hankies and the and the Atlanta chop and Yeah. That's <laughs> and right. just the just the and just the just the heart palpitations that both teams were giving you the entire time <laughs> because well, it was just such a close game. It's right. It was a close series throughout. Now, before I let you go, you know, I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to let you go without this. Um, yeah. Your prediction. Who do you think going to win the series? Oh man. Um, I think I'm taking bats, bats over pitching. Um, I'm taking Philly's bats and they're, uh, well, not, really um in the Phillies bullpen because the Phillies bullpen has also been a huge a huge factor into this as well considering that they had a bullpen game in game four and still won against the Padres so um so yeah so I'm taking the Phillies in their bullpen um I definitely think it goes six um the Phillies are outscoring opponents at home by 20 runs so if they can steal one from the Astros game one or two. And I, I think that will help. That'll help propel them as well. Now I also picked the Phillies to be in this world series back in March on my MLB previews. When I did really? a week long shows of preview in each, each division. Yeah. Each league <laughs> and each division and the playoffs. I had the Phillies in it. I had to finish in third in the third in the East. I had Atlanta winning it. But I had them. I had the. I had five of the six in the NL correct. Really? On who was going to make the postseason? Yeah. The only one. Well, I, I, well, I have you on after we done. Can you give me the lotto numbers for this week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Now the AL, I didn't do so hot. I had the Angels win in the West, but I did say only if they stayed healthy. Um, right. I was really down on this Astros team coming into this year because they were losing Correa, and I didn't really think that they would have a person to fill that shortstop void. Little did I know they had Jeremy. Pena, yeah. uh, you know, who's been playing lights out, but reminds me of Javi Baez, 2015, right. 2016 right now, playing shortstop. So, um, and just the way the Phillies have won games, I'm taking, uh, that's why I take the Phillies is because they've, they've had to grit them out and, right. and the, and the Astros have been more methodical. It's been 
I love Dusty Baker as a manager. Right. Um, and I think he should, he deserves a World Series. Um, and this might be his year because I had the Phillies Yankees in the World Series and obviously that didn't happen. So, right. <laughs> I mean, the Phillies made it, just not the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I really think the Phillies can pull it off in six. I, but like I said, I'm not going to be surprised if the, if the Astros end up winning it in five. Um, but I do think the Phillies at least win one game if that's the case. I think, you know, so. for me, the longer the series goes, the more it favors Philadelphia, the longer it goes. Yeah. If it's a short series for a sweep, which I don't see happening, there's no way I can see a sweep happening. I would no. be disappointed if it's a sweep. But the only way the Astros, I think, will win if it's less than six. If it goes six or longer, then I think the advantage goes to the Phillies. So with that said, I think that the Phillies will win this one in seven. It is going to come yeah. down to the last hey, that. The I think it will come down to the last few innings of game seven. That's going to really decide it. It's going yeah. to be the bats against the bullpen. I think, and I think mm-hmm. that, the, and I think that the pitching will will prevail in this one. It's you know, and it's kind of hard to do if, if Game Seven is in Houston, you know. And I've seen, right. first, I've seen batters hit it out, hit it out of, uh, hit it into the Crawford boxes with a broken bat. So I've seen that happen. Yeah. So that's very possible, especially if the roof is open. So. That's what I right. think. I think, but I really do believe him. If I had to, if someone put a, you know, pointed a gun at me and said, okay, make a decision, I got the Phillies winning this one in seven. Oh, yeah. Yep. I could, yep. Like I said, like I said, if it's short season, season or a certain series that favors the Astros, if it's a long season or a long series, it definitely favors the Phillies and their hitters. And the way Schwarber, Hoskins, and Harper smash on the ball right now, I'm taking that three, four over. Um, over what the Astros are doing because the Astros hitters aren't hitting the ball that well. So, right. and they got, like I said, they got they got timely hits against the Yankees. That's what they did. Yankees pitchers just made mistakes and got timely hittings. And in the postseason, that's what's about. But it's also right in the hot team. So, <laughs> that's it. Well, <laughs> and Chad, the Phillies man. are the hottest team. The Phillies are the hottest team in baseball right now. Yeah, they are. I mean, you can make the argument that, that the Astros are hot, but the Astros have been, you know, ripping through everybody, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, again, it's, it's, you know, styles make fights. And these two yep. are two very contrasting teams, you know. And it should be fun. Chad, it was so great to have you on. You brought a lot of insight. Once again, you brought your A game once again. So I really appreciate you coming on, man. All right. I appreciate you having me, man. All right, brother. As always. Hey, and get healthy. Yeah, man. No problem. I, I got to go suck some. I got to go get some honey right now for this sore throat. So, but I'm good. I'm playing there hurt. There you go. I'm playing hurt. You know, you know, <laughs> at my age, everybody's playing hurt. So, anyway, uh, glad right. to have you on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. Give me a second to talk about Joe Zagorski's pro football in the 1970s. In the 70s, the sport of pro football grew in popularity like never before. The game became more modern, more technologically savvy, and thanks to the tinkering of the rules throughout the decade, the product that one saw in pro football made the struggle on the field so much more exciting to watch. 
When you hear Joe Zagorski talk about pro football in the 1970s, it will bring you back to a time and place where your recollections of the 70s are joyfully relived once again. Joe explores many different facets and elements of the 70s, like the players, the teams, the games, the controversies, and the legacies that surround the decade. Take a listen to Joe Zagorski, an NFL author and host of the Pro Football in the 1970s podcast. It's just one of the great podcasts available through the Sports History Network. Check them out at sportshistorynetwork.com. And we're back, and you're tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, which is a proud member of the Sports History Network. And just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe wherever you hear this podcast or whatever platform you listen to, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or whatever. Don't forget to subscribe to get fresh episodes every time they come out. And also, you can check us out on Twitter, which is which our Twitter handle is historicallysp 2 that's on Twitter. And you can also email us at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. So all of those places you can get in touch with us. You can see what we put on Twitter, whatever. So right now we're going to go into our shout-out segment. And this episode, we're going to send a shout-out to a, a stadium that opened on April the 9th, 1965, with an exhibition game between the Milwaukee Braves and the Detroit Tigers. Now... Though no one knew it at then, this state-of-the-art playing field would become one of the most recognized sports arenas in the South. It began life simply as Atlanta Stadium, but over the course of time it would be changed to the classic name of Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. The vision of the stadium actually began in 1961 when future Atlanta Mayor Ivan Allen Jr. during his campaign promised to build a sports facility to attract a Major League Baseball team. Allen chose a 47-acre site in the Washington Rawson neighborhood, noting its proximity to the interstate, local businesses, and the Georgia State Capitol. Atlanta, Jour- Atlanta Journal sports editor Furman Bisher actually tried to persuade Charlie Finley, owner of the then Kansas City A's, to move his team to Atlanta. In the beginning, Finley was actually receptive of the idea, but the American League and its member teams blocked the move. So in 1964, Mayor Allen was approached by a quote-unquote unidentified team and had given him a verbal commitment to move to Atlanta provided that a stadium would be in place by 1966. That team was later identified as the Milwaukee Braves. The Braves had announced in October of 1964 their intentions to moving to the Peach City, but court battles kept the Braves in Milwaukee for one more year. However, by April of 1966, the new Atlanta Stadium welcomed their new tenants, the newly christened Atlanta Braves. The stadium was actually opened in 1965 with that aforementioned exhibition game between the Tigers and the Braves. Yet in 1966, yet 1966 would be the second baseball season in the new park. The International League's Atlanta Crackers, who had recently moved out of legendary Ponce de Leon Stadium, played their final season there. There was more to come. The NFL had announced, of, had announced of placing an expansion team in the new stadium, and of course, we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons. And over the course, course of 31 years, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium had been the site of some of the most memorable moments in both NFL and Major League Baseball history. 
The stadium known as the Launching Pad was especially friendly to hitters, especially one hitter by the name of Hank Aaron, who hit his 715th home run into the Braves' bullpen in left field against the Dodgers in 1974. Dale Murphy, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones have hit home runs there. And who could forget the four home run day by Bob Horner against the Montreal Expos in 1986, and in typical Braves fashion in the 1980s, still lost 11-8. And who could forget Game 7 of the 92 National League Championship Series when Francisco Cabrera singled to left field against the Pirates scoring Sid Bream from second base and giving the Braves their second consecutive pennant. Bob Barry, Steve Borkowski, and Chris Miller threw touchdown passes in the stadium, including one named Bob Lee, but when he came to Atlanta, fans regarded him as General Robert M. Lee, and his scramble and touchdown pass against the Vikings in 1973 is one of the best plays in Falcon history. It led to a 20-14 win on Monday Night Football when Minnesota came into the game at 9-0. Then there was Tim Mazzetti, who was a bartender in Philadelphia when the Falcons gave him a call in need of a kicker eight games into the 1978 regular season. The climax came once again on Monday night. When the playoffs, with the playoffs on the line and facing the divisional rival Los Angeles Rams, Mazzetti kicked five field goals to beat the Rams 15-7 and propelled the, the Falcons into the playoffs for the very first time. Another memorable game at Fulton County was the game known as the Duel in Dixie. The Falcons and Cowboys on January 4, 1981. After going up 24-10, the Cowboys were rallied behind the passing of Danny White. And with 47 seconds left being pressured, White would find Drew Pearson in the back of the end zone for the game winner, 30-27. It was the home of the Atlanta Chiefs of the North American Soccer League and the Peach Bowl and the 1972 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. The Beatles and Jacksons and Elton John and Led Zeppelin played, here, played there. The final game of note took place on October 24, 1996, Game 5 of the World Series. Former President and former Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter threw out the first ball. Andy Pettit was the winning pitcher as the New York Yankees won 1-0 as Charlie Hayes scored the final run in the stadium. Now the, side, now the side of the old stadium is a parking lot for Turner Field which has now become the home stadium of Georgia State Panther football team and renamed Center Park Stadium with plans in the works for a new baseball and softball facilities on the site. Yet home plate and the marker where Hank Aaron's 715th home run landed are still there as well as so many memories. So that is our shout out for this episode remembering Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And if you like what you hear here once again, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And please follow me at HistoricallySP2 on Twitter. And also drop me a line at Historically.Speaking.Sports at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm your host. Dana Augusta saying thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode 
here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.